Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the podcast about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. This week, the Premier League returns and once again delivers plenty of talking points. Sunday saw a horrific injury for Harvey Elliott, but was a red card the right outcome for Leeds United's Pascal Strauch? Ronaldo returns to Old Trafford. How do referees handle superstars? How much does the proximity of the first yellow card impact a possible second? Incidents at Selhurst Park and St Mary's to discuss here. Plus, where is the line between what managers can and can't say about officials post-match? And should referees have more than just a yellow and a red card? at their disposal. I'm Mike McCarthy, a football journalist who likes to think he knows about the laws of the game. With me is Keith Hackett, a former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL who actually does know the laws of the game inside out and back to front. Keith, thanks so much for being with us. Pleasure, Mike. Now, before we get into the action, can I just actually say full credit to the grassroots referee at my son's game this morning who not only took charge of two junior matches, there is a shortage around, so he did them back-to-back. He was encouraging the players from both sides. He's really good at explaining his decisions as well. He also appeared, Keith, to be accepting card payments on one of those little sum-up devices. <laughs> so we're in a cashless society now. It is a brand-new world for referees, Keith. Uh, makes a change. I can remember on one game uh, where perhaps I'd had an indifferent performance, or maybe not. I think their view was that I had. And uh, I can remember reporting the club because the, the guy came in. It was seven and sixpence in all money, the match fee. And he threw it on the floor and said, uh, find it. <laughs> and uh, and so as a consequence, I left it. I didn't pick it up um, and reported to the club on the Monday morning, at which... Uh, uh, they were fined, so the co- it had cost them. And then I received a, later on a check in the post for seven and sixpence, Mike. That's all money. That's uh, that's what we used to get paid. Yeah. Goodness me. Well, uh, I think I think there's about 20 quid or something that this referee got, yeah. but he, he certainly <laughs> earned it. Um, so let's start then, Keith, at Ellen Road this weekend, a sickening injury uh, to Harvey Elliott. The challenge from Leeds United's Pascal Strauch, eventually it led to a red card. First things first, Let's hope Harvey Elliott, who is an extremely talented player, I saw him a few times for Blackburn last season, almost unplayable. Let's hope he makes as speedy a recovery as possible. Uh, but what did you make of the the challenge and, and the way the decision to issue a red card from Craig Pawson was, was reached in the end, Keith? Well, I thought Craig Pawson was having a good game up to that particular point. Um, he'd applied some uh, advantages. He was in control of the game. Uh, the one thing I'm really appreciating this season, I was critical in the last couple of years about his fitness out on the field of play and movement. And, and today, I think he was putting in some good sprints. He was in good contact with play. This was a difficult one. You don't want this to happen to anyone. It, it, ultimately, at the end of the day, the first thing you do in that situation is make certain the medics are on. You don't, you don't worry about anything else. The player's health is at the forefront. And I have no doubt that Craig Pawson was running through his mind as to what he'd seen, uh, his viewing angle. I think he had a reasonable view of it. It happened near the technical areas, so the fourth official had a good view. I think what was interesting was how, from the technical area, the medics came straight on. And there wasn't any, con- if you like, 
confrontation between players. Obviously, Salah, seeing the challenge, walked away shocked. And, you know, it, it did impact on the game thereafter. Uh, no one wants to see that with a professional or any player that's playing the game. Horston remained calm, and I think that was really positive. Didn't know overreaction, no quick red card. He was thinking things through in his own mind. There was a point where I, he put his finger to his ear. And initially I thought, is he speaking to the VAR? Or is the VAR speaking to him? And of course, at this point, he's, he, he's not made a, a decision. He's not sanctioned anyone. So ultimately, I've come to the conclusion VAR was not involved in that. So I suspect it was maybe Porson getting a view from the fourth official, Andy Madley, and the assistant referee close by in order to come to a decision. I thought what was really telling was... Virgil van Dijk putting his arm of sympathy around a fellow professional who'd show, been shown a red card. And, and the, the player who received the red card, somewhat shocked. But within the laws of the game, there is this endangering the safety of an opponent. The challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent with excessive force is a red card challenge. And so probably reluctantly, Craig was in a, a very difficult position. And the outcome was he issues a red card. And I sympathise with him. Yeah. So, so Keith, when you hear, uh, you know, in, in the, the TV punditry this afternoon, uh, the likes of Gary Neville talking about this being a red card for the consequence of the challenge rather than the challenge itself. As a referee, when you go over and you see the impact that a challenge has made on, on a player regardless of the intent there or what any player may have meant to do, the fact that that is the net result, does that mean automatically you have to reach for a red card? Because Craig Paulson didn't actually blow for a foul in real time. This is why I think it was difficult for the, for the match officials and all of us, even with years of experience as a referee, because we're, we've, we've got to make these judgments. There's no doubt that the player making the challenge was moving at pace because he was trying to catch up the player. And the challenge endangered the safety of an opponent. That's very clear because of the outcome. So I think that uh, Craig had no alternative other than to issue a red card within the laws of the game. Now, it'll be interesting to see whether Leeds United will appeal that red card, and on what grounds. I think it was a difficult refereeing decision. No referee or, or, or player wants to see a fellow pro injured in that way. It was shocking. I walked away from the television screen because, you know, these injuries can, uh, can affect the career of an individual. You know, he's got, he's got now to get that right. He'll have the best medics and he'll have the best uh, psychological backup but you know without going into detail because I can't I was recently a, a referee expert in a, a court of law based on a challenge that ended the career of, a, of a, a player and this is the difficulty that we face as match officials for me I thought Craig Porson handled it as well as Anthony Taylor did 
in the Euros when Christian Eriksen collapsed. He showed sympathy. I'm not so sure about the words exchanged between Jurgen Klopp and, uh, and the referee. And, and in fairness to Jurgen Klopp, I thought uh, it's his player. That, you know, managers have a very close working relationship with players. They're part of the family. And I think he was shocked. He didn't overreact in the way that you can do. He was seeking guidance, and we don't know the, the exchange of words. Mm. I mean, perhaps even seeking a clarification about how you know that decision had been reached, because as you pointed out, it's not clear how much, if any, involvement there was from VAR, for example. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any. There wasn't. There shouldn't have been any uh, involvement with the VAR because no card had been issued. So up to that point, there isn't a clear and obvious error because no decision has been made. Mm. So, and, and so I was thinking that because Craig did point to his finger and was doing that, which was almost an indication, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking to someone at VAR, but in that case, that might be a, a bit of a, a line that, that says, okay, there's an overindulgence by VAR. But I think as a referee, you see it once and sometimes you, you say to yourself, have I actually seen what I've seen? Uh, and because, you know, the impact of that on the player who's committed the challenge can be uh, quite catastrophic to their own career. Well, as we mentioned earlier, uh, all our hopes are for a, a very swift recovery for Harvey Elliott, who has uh, such an exciting yeah. Liverpool career ahead of him. Um, let's go to Old Trafford next then and the return of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, what is it like refereeing then a footballing superstar, Keith? And uh, Do referees have to do anything different in their preparation or indeed during the game? Uh, are there any different expectations when it comes to officiating um, when you've got big characters or big personalities uh, on the pitch in, in a big moment, a big second debut for Cristiano Ronaldo? I think it was a great occasion and uh, a really super appointment in putting, you know, the referee that's really informed, uh, Anthony Taylor, on the game, despite the fact that he lives at Altrincham. It's proven everybody that um, even proximity to the ground doesn't impringe on it, on the integrity of his officiating, something that I questioned early on. You know, that you're, you're putting someone, really exposing someone to, into a difficult position. But... He's beat me on that one, and and good luck to him. Someone like Taylor is handling that type of player week in, week out. And, you know, the Premier League is the best league in the world, and we've got loads of them. Ronaldo is an exception, and at times it can be difficult. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, he's a player. And whilst referees have got to do their own work, and you can treat players in different ways as a human being, You've got to find a way as a referee how to communicate with that player and how to manage him. That's part of the process of refereeing. Is the greater danger perhaps second-guessing yourself almost and trying to do something different? I think that once you get into refereeing, you've got an expansive skill sets that come into play and you call upon those as the game continues. But at the same time, you've got a level of experience in terms of you know, we talked about that boiling kettle. At what point does that boiling kettle come in? Now, lots of superstars that I've handled, the Platinis, Beckenbauer, you know, Dalgleish, and, and many others that are world stars, 
their reactions to incidents on the field of play can be explosive. And so that's when you've got to be prepared and you've got to expect the, uh, the, the, the unexpected. There are, there are contingencies and experiences that you build up over many years. And of course, with players, you begin to recognise them. I think this is why you can learn a lot from rugby league referees, because rugby league referees know the players inside out. They call them by Christian name. It's difficult for a, a, a football league referee or a Premier League referee to do that because there's so many players. But you know full well that if, if you're dealing with a youngster, you can't be too forceful. So you've got to adapt. Yeah, and, and also, if you are going to go down that route of calling players by their first names, then you've got to do that for absolutely everyone in the game. Otherwise, there's going to be a perceived favouritism. If you're going, oi, Cristiano, and then all of a sudden someone else does something, it's oi, you. It's not going to look good for you, is it? I think this is always a danger when, when you're refereeing in the third round of the FA Cup. And you might, be, you know, you, you've not been to Torquay or you've not been to Gillingham or, or, or Southend or whatever. And all of a sudden you're refereeing Southend versus Liverpool, as I did many years ago. Um, the players would refer to me as Keith because I'd referee them a lot of times. And Southend players were looking at me and going, what's going off? I was fortunate uh, because the manager of Southend uh, at the time had been at Sheffield Wednesday. And they, they, he knew me. So that problem didn't materialise that I, I, I'd anticipated. But these things can happen. We should also say congratulations as well to uh, Newcastle goalkeeper Freddie Woodman uh, for holding on to the ball for 18 seconds in the game uh, of Old Trafford this weekend. Uh, if you want to hear more of our discussion about that particular law and why we don't bother with the six-second law anymore, uh, check out last week's show with Mark Halsey. Um, let's go to Selhurst Park next. Crystal Palace against Tottenham. Uh, first of all, uh, some excellent use of the assistant referee, Keith. The penalty correctly awarded for handball. This is what we used to see frequently, you know. I've always said that, and maybe I'm biased, but English referees uh, are always top draw. What I was fortunate to have was a guy called Paul Regere, who was who'd been an international assistant referee and a football league referee, and I made him the boss of the assistant referees at the PGMOL. I didn't realise the the assistant referees had their own boss. Yeah, I, I gave I made that I made that appointment because then. I wanted a line. I wanted a line of communication for them. There's a. There was about 140 odd of them, so he could filter the questions being asked. He could get a feel of what was going off, and you know we had some tricky referee assistant referees who tell you as it went. I was very fortunate. Glenn Turner, Chesterfield, who went to the World Cup and ran the line for Graham Paul, an outstanding assistant referee, but but told you as it was. You know, <laughs> if if he was unhappy about something you knew full well that there was something wrong. But to make the point, I think that this was a decision that Moss hadn't got an angle on and the assistant flagged vigorously and, and you know, instantly he's given a penalty kick, handball, spot on, excellent decision. And credit to John Moss because he didn't hesitate. He didn't, I'm not, I'm not going to go across and have a conversation. He's got down the line, it's a penalty. And he's given it. And that's good refereeing, good teamwork. 
And a couple of red cards, uh, one in this game at Selhurst Park and also another one at St Mary's, which had a lot of similarities. Uh, Tanganga, first of all, let's talk about this. Um, th- the second yellow for him comes, I think it's about three minutes after the first and the uh, altercation he had with Zaha. I often wonder how much the, the proximity of the first yellow card plays into the second and whether Tanganga's challenge, whether it happened... I know it's not possible in the way the game went, but had his first yellow been for that instant in you know 15th minute of the first half and the second challenge happened in the 65th minute of the game, whether necessarily he would have got a second yellow? I don't think on what I've seen, it, it's actually a, a cautionable offence anyway. I don't think the challenge, the second challenge, was reckless. And there we have the debate. It's an opinion. Uh, but... Yeah, there is that proximity. I mean, you know, sometimes the very best managers actually know when to create a substitute. Let's let's have a look at the player involved. What is it? Is he one that's going to settle down straight away, or is he going to do something daft? He did something daft, and so in that sense, I'm not criticising the referee here. The referee is in it. Is is close proximity. He know what he knows what's gone off in that first challenge. That first challenge was a bit brutal. Mm. You know, it was it was more than a yellow card, wasn't it? I mean, he, he really went into Zaha. Then you've got Zaha overreacting. So John Moss knew that he got a problem. He knew that this player hadn't quite settled down. And as a result, his judgment, not mine, his judgment was that is reckless. And he had the justification to say that because he was in a good position to, to view it. He was in a better position than I was watching through the television screen. So I'd, I mean, I'm supporting John Moss in the decision. But the point that you make, that often the referee is, is in focus, that player. If you've had a yellow card or you, you've been told, look, I want an improvement in your behaviour. If you think that's then the end of the matter, then you've, you're a million miles away from things. The referee's keeping one eye on you. And this is what Moss did. And that's why he got a second yellow and off. Yeah, and I, and I guess a, a similar sort of thing happened to Mikel Antonio as well. Uh, again, he reacts to a challenge uh, and gets a first yellow and then a, a late tackle quickly afterwards as well, sees a, a second one. And again, I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm minded to say these are challenges by players away from home as well. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, when we talk about referee training and referee development uh, and the management of players, you know, in both these situations, the referees could and maybe should have slowed the yellow card process down. You know, take a little longer. What's your name? You know, it. what's your name? Can I have it, please? Mm. Now listen, calm down. I want the ball in the exact position. Now, the crowd think you're being pedantic, and you are to some degree, because what you're trying to do is, is gain time that allows that player to cool down and calm down. Because, he, you know, he, he might have had a glaze in his eye that John Moss has spotted. And therefore, in both instances, you always ask the question, when you finish up sending a player off, could you have done more? Could you have handled it in a different manner? And that's how you learn in those situations as match officials. 
Now, uh, before we move on, often you'll hear fans, well, I think some, you know, with some justification, questioning why red cards that are resulted to yellow cards can't be appealed, but red cards that are straight red cards can. Sometimes I've heard the explanation that, well, you know, probably double the amount of work that would have to be done. Uh, but there, there seems to be so much money in the game now. Surely there are the resources for for these sort of things. But you're laughing, Keith. So tell me why uh, why you're laughing uh, at that suggestion? Because I've always had the belief that when a referee issues a sanction, if a club or a player disagrees with that sanction, the very fact that it could be wrong, it ought to be able to appeal it. I can tell you on incidents again in the Premier League where a referee has viewed the video two or three occasions having given a yellow card and come in and said Keith I have to tell you this is wrong it's not a yellow card is there any way I could have that rescinded and when I asked the question in the FA no and I think that is totally and utterly unfair you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these guys who stand with a flagpole and protest or whatever. I do think, however, uh, that yellow cards should be appealed. And, and if the FA are worried about the injustice or the additional work or whatever, then employ more people. I would, I, I'd imagine the clubs would be quite happy to pay for that as a service, wouldn't you think? Yeah, well, what, what I've seen, and this happens sometimes, you've seen a... Not quite a, a red card, if you like, offence. We, we often use the terminology in coaching, orange, but that's not part of the law. That's, that's about discussion and, and training. But we've, we've often seen referees where it is a red card on its own and they're given a second yellow. And you say to them, why have you done that? We can't appeal. So the very least, I think, that should happen is that where two reds, two yellows equals a red, then there should be appealed. And then somebody said to me, well, which one do you appeal? And I just go both as part of a process. Just, yeah. just look at each one and determine and then have the right outcome. But the, the powers that be will not do that. I don't, I don't think FIFA are pro it. My view is that I don't like sending players off. So let us introduce the sin bin and let's expand the use of the sin bin, what, what a player can be sin bin for. Descent is a good starter, and I think it's worked quite well. I mean, I saw a game a couple of weeks ago where the referee issued two sin bins, and then you could see the, the look on his face because he was fiddling around with a couple of watches. <laughs> He, got well, he to, needs an independent timekeeper. Yeah, it, well, that's what he needs. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they can afford that at grassroots <laughs> level. I don't think Peniston Church would be wanting to pay for an independent timekeeper. But I do think, I do think at the top level, the elite level, this should be. Hold that thought on the sin bin. We'll come back to that in a moment. 
Seen Them Given is supported by Premier Events, one of the UK's leading event management and event production companies. Premier pride themselves not only on offering first-class customer service, but more importantly, they take the stress out of planning events for corporate and private clients alike. Many of us are working more from home, so whether it's a fully virtual business update on Premier's very own streaming platform, a glamorous in-person awards ceremony, or a hybrid of the two for a retailer conference, Premier has everything under one roof to deliver stress-free, world-class events. Premier's team supports you every step of the way. That includes creating and designing content to ensure your audience is engaged and motivated, proud and energised. Whatever your goal, Premier's experienced creative team are on hand to guide you through the process. From their base in Leicestershire, Premier are perfectly positioned to service the whole of the UK and beyond. They even offer a free venue-finding service for in-person events to ensure the best space possible for your budget. Visit www.premier-limited.com to take the first step towards taking the stress as of your next event. A good weekend for VAR, I think, overall. Uh, Arsenal against Norwich, confirming Aubameyang's uh, winning goal. That seemed to be the right decision. Very close uh, offside decision in the Leicester City-Man City game, but Jamie Vardy uh, ruled offside. Again, that seemed like the yeah. right call. Uh, Mane, uh, VAR confirming that he wasn't interfering with play in an offside position yeah. for, for Liverpool's second as well at Ellen Road on Sunday afternoon. So uh, we, we, we got a weekend of pretty much full marks for VAR, Keith. Yes, I think that um, thankfully the, the, the PGMRL listened at some point and in its third year of operation seemed to be operating it quite well. They had to because the damage that they were doing to the game was appalling. You know, even like goals going in the back of the net and this long pause that we had before everything's checked is done automatic now. It's, you know, it's just unclear and obvious, Eric. That's what it was from day one. An ownership of the decision referee, therefore use the use the, the monitor. It seems so simple, and probably that's why at times I was getting totally and utterly frustrated. And week in, week out, we we're talking about VAR operators. Having said that, I want to raise a point because I still believe we're seeing at the moment, in my opinion, the right method of appointing referees at the PGRL at long last. The referees with experience and inform are getting the games. You know, four, four weekends and certain referees, Terrell, Oliver, Tierney, who are inform, have had four games. So they are clearly now looking at and saying, right, okay, next week, next 10 games, those four referees are on that game. But it's a long season and those referees are on FIFA. And as a consequence, we'll be running overseas. So I'm still of the opinion that either you expand the group beyond the 20 it currently is, and in fairness, they've increased it from 16 to 20. But I still believe they need an independent VAR panel because I don't want Anthony Taylor, Michael Oliver, Martin Atkinson, Mike Dean, whoever they are, refereeing one day and then VAR the next. And if they say, well, it's to pay them and they can earn money on doing the job, pay them the right money. Just have them doing what they're good at. And that's refereeing. In the same way, you have assistant referees assisting. And so I, I'm just mindful of the fact that 
There's 20 referees in that group. There's only 15 being used so far. Another new boys, yeah, either from yeah. uh, that promoted yeah. to select so, yeah, yeah. this this summer. Okay, I think I think um, Jared Gallant's done a VAR game because he's a very good VAR, clearly. But uh, some of the others are twiddling the thumbs. And you know, if you're part of it, you know, you've been selected in the group, and you're not selected for a game, and you're now a month in. They might be beginning to think, well, when am I coming in? Well, perhaps they might have to cover for Oliver Langford uh, next week, who uh, went off with cramp at Blackburn in the uh, at the end of that game at Ewood Park. The fourth official, Andy Haynes, had to take over the final stages of that match. I mean, it's very rare that we see this sort of thing happen, Keith. But why why can it happen? Well, uh, you know, I mean, the PGL have uh, a nutritionist. There's a book I've got it on my laptop. We produced it with the help of Loughborough University. It's available for every referee free. The, the, you know, we invested in that, a few thousand pounds to get it done. So diet and nutrition is part of the process and fitness is. And, and you know, to referee on the Premier League and Football League and in, in grassroots football, you have to pass a fitness test. And I would hope that at the top level, it's harder than the guy who's just coming in at grassroots level. To be honest, you know, a referee should be able to comfortably do 90 minutes plus extra time, minimum. And so, yeah, I'd be asking questions. I'd be certainly asking questions and giving advice, operational advice to Ollie Langford, asking why. Now, it might well be, in fairness to him, he's, he's got an hamstring twinge and not cramp. Who knows? But not good to go down with an injury in the 90th minute. But if a referee is injured at any stage in the game, come off at whatever level you're officiating. Sound advice, and we'll see where uh, Oliver Lanford uh, ends up next weekend, if indeed anywhere. Wigan against Doncaster in League One. I wanted to uh, just touch on this one as well, uh, Keith. Richie Wellens, uh, a very frustrated man at the moment. His team haven't uh, yet won in the division. They had the lead but lost it uh, this weekend, and it led to some uh, pretty fiery quotes about some of the officiating that he saw. And I just wanted to kind of get into the the things that managers are allowed to say post match, and the things that they aren't. So some of the key things that Richie Wellens was saying uh, in his post match interview. Then he was saying, "I'm here fighting for my life." and you can get officials that cannot see the most blatant offside you will ever see. I'll get fined if I go over the top when I'm talking about the officials, but they won't get fined for their performance. I suppose, Keith, the question is, where is the line between what a manager can say to the media at the end of a game and what they can't? My advice is that the least you say, the better, because then you're going to avoid a fine. I think it. I, I think that you can't question the integrity of the referee. You can state clearly that you're seeking uh, clarification on certain points to the media. You know, you can actually say to somebody, "Do you think it were offside?" Which is an indication that you don't. So I think they're all clever ways of doing that. But you know, managers will get frustrated because it's their career. And, you know, they, they walk the finest of lines in the game if we look at the number of managers that get dismissed in a season. So the reason 
that when I took the post with the PGMOL was to say, like, Football League, Premier League managers, 30 minutes after the game, can knock on the referee's door and seek clarification on everything. If they're still unhappy, first of all, they're marking the referee's performance at Championship and below, so they can actually say, you know, four out of ten. And in some cases, I've had managers who who I know who would give 10 out of 10 uh, and then say, what else do I give him? So I think that that knock on the door and conversation with the referee might be frustrating, but it might, it might get some clarification. If not, then they can contact the PGMOL. In the case of the Football League, they contact Mike Jones, who's the manager of the Football League referees. Uh, he works for, for um, Mike Riley. And then, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate thing is that I've no doubt he's a manager of the, he's, he's a member of the League Managers Association. And that organisation is really well run by a guy called Richard Bevan. And therefore, if he still believes there's an injustice running through or he's unhappy, speak to them. And I've no doubt they'll get a member of their staff to go and see them. But ultimately, you know, I mean, I, I used to get regular calls in from Neil Warnett when he was at Bramall Lane and I'd go and meet him. And not always did we agree. Sometimes I'd come out slightly enlightened uh, because he'd have video evidence that was very clear. And the same applies with, you know, I've had those cross-table discussions. So I think that it's communication. It's, it's understanding. It's understanding the laws, understanding the application. They used to say that, you know, even in my era, referees, they parachute them in and then they disappear and we've got to pick up with a mess for the rest of the week. That was a regular statement. Or it became in my era, I'm going to pick the phone up and speak to Keith Hackett because I'm unhappy. And I never got the call. It's a deflection, isn't it? Yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it might well have had an indifferent performance from a referee. What specifically? Okay, offside. Right, then go into the referee's dressing room politely and ask. You know, he's got the referee there, he's got the assistant referee, and say, look, I'm seeking advice. And advice. Can you clarify how you can determine this is offside? Tell me. I should also point out as well that you will never hear a manager speak about a referee before the match. They are not allowed to do so in any way, shape or form. Um, so if you've ever wondered why journalists don't ask, it's because they're not allowed to say anything. And all you will do is annoy a press officer who will have to remind you that the manager will not say anything about the referee, even if they sent off a member of their side in the last three games that they've officiated over. Um, before we go then, Keith, uh, time again for my favourite part of the show. Let's look at a law or perhaps something we could introduce, change or scrap about football altogether. I wanted to ask you about something quite fundamental, and you've touched on this already. I mean, how often have you heard a pundit say that a challenge was maybe worse than a yellow but not a red. I think this is something that has been in the ether for maybe decades. You know, people talk about an orange card. You talked about it earlier in the show as a, mm. you know, a kind of refereeing instructional mm. uh, type of thing. But it's always been, it's been yellow, red, nothing else, with the exception now in grassroots football where a sin bin's been introduced for dissent. Why has it never changed from that? Have there been, you know, in the past moves to perhaps introduce something trials that you know that we've looked at in within the game or is this so fundamental to the game that just you just can't change it i think that 
um, that the old framework is is very much around the lawmakers and the IFAB and you know the, those people that make the vote the vote where traditionally they're against change. It's only in recent years that they've made changes, and some of those changes that they've made have impacted greatly on, I think, the enjoyment of referees at grassroots level. Just, let's just think about offside, interfering with play, gaining an advantage, being active or passive. These are great at, at Premier League level when you've got two very experienced referees, assistant referees running the line. But when you're at grassroots level, sometimes you've got a guy who's just passed his examination, learning the craft. You've got... In, in many instances, club linesmen, where you generally say to them, I want everything, but I don't want offsides. <laughs> yeah, do all the ins and outs, please. You're brought with problems. So I think that the lawmakers should be trying to make laws that are simpler to operate. I'm not one for changing the laws, but law changes in recent years have really impacted on the referee at grassroots level. Simple, really. A yellow card to a yellow card. And if you get two yellow cards, and this, could, for example, could be the first yellow card for not retiring the distance of 9.15 or delaying the free kick or delaying, you know, you look at some of the yellow card offences and they're technical. And so you can get two technical offences and a yellow card. Of course, you can't appeal as we've just been talking about. Do we introduce, I, I firmly believe that where I've seen a referee make use of the sin bin, it's been positive. Sadly, there are too many referees who are not using the sin bin and accepting far, far too much from the, the players, indisciplined players who at the moment are not giving the respect that's required for referees, either grassroots level or semi-professional level. So essentially use what you've got better would be the, uh, the argument here. I suppose if you had more cards, you'd have more reason for argument as well. It's just another thing to argue about. Does that creep into the thought process too? Yeah, I think... This is why I like the sin bin. I'm, I'm really, I'm sure it's number one supporter. Because if somebody's arguing at me, right, I give him a yellow card and he gets a second yellow card. And do I accept? And I think that referees have got to get stronger. So get out of my sight for 10 minutes. Go and have a rest. And go in that tape area and cause someone else ma'am. So I, I, I like the, I, you know, from its introduction, and I, I was for it. You know, I talked at length some years ago with David Ellery. David Ellery has always, always been a, a massive supporter of the Sinbin. And I was the technical, I was the chairman of the technical committee at that time. And I kept saying to him, I like the Sinbin, but where are you going to use it and what are you going to use it for? And he found a way. Do you, do you think that will rise up the ladder? the sin bin, eventually, because we're not even seeing it in the FA Cup yet in the early rounds. It's just in, in grassroots football, and there's been uh, some... I think there was even one game in the uh, uh, in the FA Cup this year that the referee 
tried to use a sin bin but was actually wrong in law about that and so that yes. you know that caused all sorts of problems so yeah, yeah. can you see it going up the ladder further or, you know if, if it is such a success why, why can't it be used uh, in the professional game too i think one of the difficulties that exist to some degree in being blunt is weak referee because what happens is you get referees who, who accept far too much dissent for all sorts of reasons it's on the point of abuse and they ignore it that they're just saying, well, I'm getting on the game. I want the concentration, all that goes with it. And it gets to the point where it's belittling the officials. They're becoming the Aunt Sally's and they're far from that. And therefore I, I just, I just like sometimes feel, you know, when I'm watching a game, I sometimes feel like going onto the pitch and saying, get a bit stronger, man. Tighten your game up. You're accepting far too much here. They're undermining your authority. Because once one strikes and you don't do it, another one will peep. And then mm. it grows in the game. So get a bit tougher. Because, but, the, but here's the problem. The problem is that, you know, one referee last week told me he could have had 11 games. So at this moment in time, there is a massive problem at grassroots football that nobody appears to be recognising. And that is a massive shortage of referees because they're walking away from the game because their enjoyment is being impaired by dissent and abuse. And therefore, I think that the game itself, it's not the same game without a referee. And so I think that if we want to encourage younger referees, we've got to have more. I think the FA have got to go on a massive recruitment retention programme. It's not working and they're using COVID as an excuse. In my time, when I took my examinations, it cost me no. It now costs 146 quid. If you want to be a referee, Mike, you've got to invest 150 pounds. It's worse than being an airline pilot. In terms of, you know, just, just get the numbers up. And, you know, at Payston, church i was really pleased because you know they told me that i haven't had anything to do with it but they they're paying for six referees to be trained but they shouldn't have to well we're doing that because we want some referees we don't want our games to go without referees now we understand if we train that six doesn't mean to say that everyone's going to be refereeing peniston every week that's not the case but in reality we there's six less and so, therefore, either as clubs, we've got to do something and say, right, okay, Fred Smith's retiring from the game. He can be a referee. And Fred says, well, I don't want to splash out 150 quid. Well, here you are. We'll pay for you to become a referee. And so I think that we've got to go to universities and we've got to sit there and go, when you're registering, do you know that you can earn couple of hundred quid a week referee or a hundred pounds or if you really went up the ladder you could be a hundred k so university people then we've got all these academies where they have it's like a meat market they churn out players and and i see families and i think oh, they, they're, they're looking at their children aspiring to become a professional player knowing full well that it, i don't know what the ratio is but it's not a big one and so at some point, when, when the club says to this player, 
you know, we, we're going to release you. Then take on the responsibility and say, right, okay, here are your options. We'll pay for you going to university or we'll pay for further education or we'll pay this amount of money and why don't you become a referee? The game's got to open up to try and get more people in to that area. There's one guy I've mentioned. There's a guy called Ross Joyce. He's, he's up in the northeast, I think. And he's a referee development officer. And I see his work on social media. And he's at the, he's at the forefront. If I was at the FA and I sat there and I watched what this Royce Joyce is doing, and I think I'd go, come down here in London, mate. You, your programmes seem to be working. We'll introduce them on a national basis. Keith, as always, brilliant insight and thanks so much for your analysis on seeing them given this week. Um, if you've got a, a question for Keith, at the email hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk uh, or indeed if you want to pose a, a law change or a scenario that keith can uh, get his teeth into we'll take those two at the same address you can find us on twitter as well at scene underscore them underscore given uh, if you stayed with us right to the end of the show thanks so much for listening uh, you can find new episodes of seen them given every monday through the season and if you've enjoyed the show you know what to do Give us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It will help other people discover us and uh, build a bit of a refereeing community, which is what we're hoping to do uh, with this show. Uh, for now, though, thank you so much for your company. Thanks so much, Keith. Pleasure, Mike. We will see you next time.